0: Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, again, I want to thank all of you for uh, being here uh, today. And uh, let's celebrate uh, what is going to be a a very passionate week uh, for all of us as uh, the Lord entered into his week of passion. Will you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22 we will deviate for this Sunday from the Sermon on the Mount series as I bring to you a message titled, Hosanna, from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. Of course, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday marks the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in Matthew, Mark, and John, not in the book of Luke, which is our text, but in Matthew, Mark, and John, the crowds are quoted as saying, Hosanna. And they cried out, Hosanna. And that is the reason that we have titled the message today, Hosanna. Literally interpreted, the word Hosanna means save us. We know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, but is that what they were really asking for? Were they really saying, we are lost in our sins? Save us, or was there some other salvation that they were seeking? Probably what they were wanting, in fact, most definitely what they were wanting, was to be saved from the rule of the Romans. They had been ruled over by the Romans, uh, just another in a line of people who had ruled over Israel. They had been ruled over by the Egyptians, they had been ruled over by the Philistines, they had been ruled over by the Babylonians and now they were being ruled over by the Romans, and they wanted to be saved. They were looking for a deliverer. They weren't looking for a redeemer. They were looking for a deliverer, and it's with this understanding that we come to our text in the book of Luke today, understanding that they were looking to be delivered from the oppression of Rome as they had been from Babylonia, as they had been from uh, the Philistines, as they had been Uh, from the Egyptians. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why Are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And so begins what we call Palm Sunday. One of my favorite uh, uh, theologians and favorite commentaries is written by a man whose name is Warren Wiersbe. One of the great privileges of my life was to get to know Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe is still living. He is very advanced in age now. But I had the privilege of knowing Warren Wiersbe and actually speaking with Dr. Wiersbe, In a meeting for a week uh, up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, many years ago. A brilliant man in how that he can take the truths of the Bible and boil them down to great simplicity. And according to Wearsby, the traditional calendar of the events of the Lord's last week looks something like this On Sunday, there is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Monday, there is the cleansing of the temple. On Tuesday, there are controversies with Jewish leaders. On Wednesday, there's a day of rest for Jesus. On Thursday, he has his last supper. We'll say something about that later. On Friday, there is the trial and crucifixion. On Saturday, Jesus rests in the tomb. And let me just pull over and park and say this. His body laid in the tomb... But Jesus had gone to deliver a proclamation that he began on the cross of Calvary when he said, it is finished. And uh, he went and delivered that proclamation to the wicked one that the plan of salvation was finished and that his days were numbered and he would have no opportunity any longer to uh, (coughs) rob uh, salvation from mankind as a whole. But he would try to do so, of course, one at a time. And then on Sunday, Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, these are not found in your notes, but if you would like to have that progression, just email me, Randy Ray, at nflchurch.com, and I will send you this. I'll just copy and paste it and send it to you. I want you to keep in mind that the Jewish day went from sundown to sundown, so that Thursday evening would actually be the Friday, the day of the Passover. And and that has some bearing on that chronology that I just shared with you. For instance, uh, tonight at sundown uh, would be considered uh, Monday morning uh, in the the Jewish tradition or the Jewish calendar. So we're going to see a few things in this text today. And hopefully they will uh, set the stage for you for this week of passion for Jesus Christ. In the first part of our text, we see something very simple. It's just simple obedience. That's the very first part of the story today, is that there was some simple obedience. Many of you have heard of a religious sect called the Shakers. The Shakers began as a sect from the Quakers, and their style of worship was very animated, so that they began to be called Shakers. Now today, Shakers are not necessarily a very strong A religious group they are known for certain things however they're known for their style of dress they are known for their their style of furniture for their style of houses there was a time when shaker houses was very uh, very popular and so they're known for their style of houses they're known for their style of music one of the most famous shakers uh, shaker songs is called the gift to be simple i won't sing it to you today but it's a a wonderful song. It says, "'Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight.'" One of the best understandings of Christianity is that, that it is far more simple than people give it credit for. A big misunderstanding of Christianity Is that it is too complicated to live and that the Bible is too complicated to understand the Bible is difficult to understand because we make it difficult to understand I want to say what I've said so many times before and I heard said to me which trained me in this that is that the Bible was not written for theologians the Bible was not written for PhDs the Bible was not written for only the smartest of people the Bible was written for common man. Certainly it's the word of God, but just as the plan of salvation was made simple and Jesus took all of the the universe and embodied in himself all the sins of mankind and died on as complicated as that is and died on the cross for our sins. All we must do is simply believe it. Repent and repentance and faith brings to us the power of salvation, the power of redemption. And so I believe with all of my heart that God intended for <coughs> us in our simplicity to understand. Now, it does require that we pay attention if we're going to understand the Bible, and we try to comprehend the meaning of it. But the whole of Jesus' mission should tell us that the simplest of us can understand the message of Scripture. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27 says. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak In the world to shame the strong. I've heard some powerful messages brought by people who were not very strong intellectually. I've heard some great wisdom come from people who did not have a great deal of of, uh, blessings or benefits seemingly uh, in this world because God will use the simplest of us. Jesus' mission was to make the message uh, available to all of us including the simplest, and our text is a very good example of that. The beginning of the final week of Jesus will be spent on earth, and here's how it starts. It starts with a simple mission. Jesus is now in range of the setting of his crucifixion, that is, where he is now, literally, physically, at this time of the week, at this place where he is. Literally, he is in proximity to where he uh, will be uh, be crucified from where Jesus is and and I'm I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity to stand where Jesus approximately where he was standing uh, in and around the garden of Gethsemane and where Jesus is he can see the walls of the city of Jerusalem he can see to the left end of the city of Jerusalem that which is referred to as the pinnacle this is the place where Satan uh, tempted him to throw himself down and, and prove that he was God. He can see the uh, gates of the city, the eastern gate. These are the gates that he will ride in triumphantly uh, through on uh, the donkey, a very special uh, little colt. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Those gates are now sealed up. Those gates no longer are open, but one day they will be opened again, and Jesus will re-enter Jerusalem, also through the eastern gates. And he knows that these will be the gates that he will <laughs> enter for triumphantly for his second coming. And all of this that he sees, and all that's going through his his sensory perception right now, what he sees, and what he hears, and, and what his his cognizant knowledge, what he knows is going to happen in the next week, and what he knows is going to happen at his return, it seems like it's all converging at an intersection right now, as Jesus uh, makes a very uh, simple request. And the simple request is to go and, and to get this colt on which no one had ever ridden. And he also knows that in making this request, it is a fulfillment of prophecy. And while this is not a message on prophecy, anytime you see a fulfillment of prophecy in Scripture, it's a good time to re- be reminded that all prophecy is literal prophecy and is fulfilled literally. The prophecy of the Old Testament is literally fulfilled in the prophecy of the New Testament. And the prophecy of the New Testament will be literally fulfilled at the rapture and at the coming of Christ and at eternity to come. We sometimes have a tendency to say, well, uh, you know, this is just allegorical. This is just kind of an illustration. I want you to know something. That prophecy old was fulfilled literally, and prophecy in the Bible will be fulfilled literally. Let me show you how this is a fulfillment of prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That would be Israel. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to your righteous Uh, to you righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That is a literal prophecy that was fulfilled literally on this Palm Sunday. And could I tell you this, that when the Bible says that Jesus is coming in the clouds, He is coming in the clouds. It is a literal. When you see that it was fulfilled literally once, you can know that that's the kind of God that we serve. So knowing this, that is the prophecy, he sends two of his disciples into the city to find what he knew would be waiting for him there. And it was a simple mission, but it was one that was vital to the prophecy of God. On this simple mission, these two disciples were to offer simple words. Nothing complicated here. Nothing hard to deal with. Here's all they needed to say when they found the colt. The Lord has need of it. That's all they had to say. Now, there was a broader message behind the words of Jesus, but Matthew, and Matthew's gospel records something about it. But as he was to enter in, it was a, on a colt. The donkey was accompanied, also accompanied the disciples, but it was on a colt. And uh, and we'll, we'll see from other uh, passages or we know from other passages that a donkey uh, accompanied it. And that donkey uh, or that colt brought, brought Jesus in. Now I want you to see something kind of interesting. Verse 32 says that it was a colt on which no one had ever sat. The donkey that he would ride into Jerusalem on is a colt on which no one had ever sat. Now what is the significance of that? Well, I don't know how much significance other than to show a pattern. Think of the progression. Jesus was born of a virgin. No man had ever known Mary, and Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus would live a sinless life. No one had ever lived a sinless life. When Jesus was crucified... He was laid in a new tomb. He was laid in a tomb that had been prepared for someone else. And it had not yet been used. And so Jesus was placed in a new tomb. And this same Jesus, who would be placed in a new tomb, who would live a sinless life, and was born of a virgin, when he would enter triumphantly into Jerusalem, would ride on a donkey... On which no one had ever sat. He just did things perfectly and purely that way. And the only taint of sin or taint of following mankind on Jesus was when he willingly gave himself on the cross of Calvary. So you see that we start out this day by some simple obedience. There was a simple mission, there were simple words, and from all of it, Began a simple uh, beginning. And so it was that on his last Sunday as mortal man, Jesus sat on a donkey covered with the outer garments of those around him. And as the colt moved toward the city, the crowds gathered and they threw their coats on the ground in front of the colt, and the ride marked the arrival of royalty. And so the simple day begins." Now this day was marked by spontaneous rejoicing. What began as a simple ride into Jerusalem became a celebration. It became a parade. It became a hero's welcome. Look again at Luke chapter 19, now picking up in verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way... And so here we have a spontaneous demonstration on this day. A big deal. A a great celebration. This was a ticker tape parade, if you will. And let's just start out by talking about the crowd. How big the crowd was and, and who made up the crowd. First of all, it was massive and it was chaotic. There was just a tremendous sense of... Of chaos and and pressing and pushing and true to form they turned out and they showed out it was very very emotional this was a huge thing for the first and only time you should get this for the first and only time in his earthly ministry Jesus allowed a demonstration pay or bringing attention to who he was He had never allowed it before, but now Jesus is going to permit a public demonstration worthy of who he was and what he came to do. Earlier, when Jesus would do something big and there would be huge crowds, the Bible said that oftentimes he slipped away. He didn't want anybody else to see him. He didn't want to draw attention to himself because the demonstrations would become too large. And sometimes he would say something like this, my time is not yet. And he knew that there was more work for him to do on this earth. And so he didn't allow himself to be swept away uh, in these other times or to be, excuse me, swept up into demonstration and celebration. But this time is completely different. He allows for it. It almost seems like he provides for it. He welcomes it. He embraces it. Indeed, his hour has come. And Jesus is now ready. He's ready to embrace this final week. Jesus knew that this same crowd who cheered him, uh, who who screamed out, Hosanna, the exact same crowd would, would, within a matter of days, be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. When you come to the Passion Play uh, next weekend, here's what you'll discover. You'll discover this great celebration as Jesus comes down the aisle on Palm Sunday. And uh, people are waving palms and they're screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna and then as strange as it may seem and almost turning on a dime all of these same people begin to yell and they begin to call out crucify him crucify him the exact same group it's an amazing thing so Jesus knew that these crowds would turn on him and as stated the reason that they did is because they wanted a deliverer from Rome not a savior from sin That's what a lot of people want. A lot of people are looking for religion to deliver them from their circumstances. They're not looking for a savior to save them from their sins. I can tell you this. If you are saved from your sins, your circumstances will definitely change. But if you have your circumstances change, you won't necessarily be saved from your sins. They weren't looking for a savior. They were looking for a changer in their circumstances. We've been bound by Egypt we have been uh, ruled by the Philistines, we have been ruled by the Babylonians, and we are now ruled by the Romans. We've got to break this cycle. Please, we need someone to save us from all of this. And so that was their cry. Spontaneously, they began to to cry out. In Matthew 21, 9, it says, the crowd went before him and what followed him uh, and, and followed him and were shouting Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. Mark chapter 11 and verse 9, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in John chapter 12 and verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and they went to meet him crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even The king of Israel. The word Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's what they were saying Save us from our oppression. We're so glad God sent us someone else. We're so glad God sent us another uh, uh, person to redeem us. Save us, they cried. They knew that Moses had been sent to them, they knew that Joshua had been sent to them. They knew that David had been sent to them, and they knew that others had been sent to them and saved them from their bondage and oppression. Now they would have Jesus to save them from their bondage and oppression. And that's exactly what was going on in their minds. Israel would be restored, and no one would rule over them but the God of Abraham. But they completely <laughs> they completely misunderstood the mission of Jesus they completely misunderstood what Jesus had come to do. You know what the Bible says, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save us from our sins. They thought that he came to save them from the Romans. He would indeed save them, but as their Messiah, not as their crusader. They were ready for another crusade. They were ready for another fight. They were ready for the Red Sea to swallow up now the Romans. They were ready for uh, uh, some other kind, they were ready for the walls of Jericho (coughs) to fall down again. And while the mass of the the Jews misunderstood, uh, the legal leaders of the Jews were once again skeptical, and and, uh, this time they did what they've always done. There was the criticism that they gave for Jesus allowing these people to do as they would. This is an interesting thing, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now that's the first time, I think, that in a setting like this, where people were rejoicing so much that Jesus literally gave into it and said, I'm here to tell you that if they shut up, the stones will start up. There's going to be a celebration today. This is a big thing. You don't know it, and I'm not going to really tell you about it, but there's a big thing getting ready to happen. Y'all are going to be a part of it, but you're going to be dumbfounded by what happens a week from today. This is getting ready to blow your mind. So you go ahead and shut them up and then watch the mountains begin to sing. Watch the mountains begin to praise. The Pharisees knew that that Jesus was a very special individual. They didn't like what he was, but they knew what he was. They knew that the praise began uh, being offered to Jesus was praise reserved for the Messiah and that the people were near to making him their Messiah. Psalm 118.26 said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's what they were crying out. Save us. You've got to be the one who's coming in the name of the Lord, but to be our deliverer, not to be our redeemer. They wanted this to stop. That is the Pharisees. They wanted this to stop. And Jesus said, No, it can't stop because the rocks will cry out and praise me. Jesus knew that they would not make him Messiah, he knew that this was a step along the way to the Father's plan for the redemption of sin. He didn't get his hopes up. Jesus didn't get his hopes up and say, oh man, this is exciting. I believe this is going to turn around. I might have been wrong about this. No, he didn't think that at all. He knew the steps that he was going through. And from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, uh, the times of Jesus had been pointing to this very day and to the cross ahead and to the resurrection and the time of the Gentiles. But for now, it was time for him to be celebrated. And he would be celebrated. I'll tell you this. Uh, we we probably uh, do a very poor job in our everyday lives in the world in which we live. We probably do a very poor job celebrating Jesus. We celebrate a lot of other things. We celebrate national championships. We celebrate uh, great political victories. We celebrate uh, startup companies. We celebrate when a new restaurant starts. We celebrate a style of worship. We celebrate this. We celebrate that. But I'm afraid that we're no longer celebrating Jesus. And and in some ways, even though I know that they were uh, wrong in their hearts and they had a wrong intention in their mind, and even though I know that all of this is going to turn out wrong for them, I'm kind of happy and excited to see Jesus celebrated on this day. He's celebrated. What do we see on this day that in this message we call Hosanna? Well, first there was simple obedience, and there was spontaneous rejoicing. And then let me give you a, a third one sincere disappointments. In the next few verses, Jesus will express disappointment. He'll even express heartbreak, which is a very human thing to do. Was it because of the cross ahead? I know that becoming sin for us was the most despicable thing in the timeline of his life. But there was something else that was breaking his heart. There was something else that was weighing him down. In Luke 19 and verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and, and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children with, within you and they will, give, they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know of the time of your visitation. Here's what passages like this do. They show us the full extent of Jesus' humanity. Here's something that sometimes I guess we forget. I think a lot of times we forget it. That Jesus is the God-man. I was preparing this past week the the sunrise service message and emphasizing the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. I think that's one of the most... um, I think that's, that's one of the most unappreciated uh, miracles of the Bible. Is that God would be fully human and God would be fully God, fully divine. In the same setting, he states the knowledge of the future of Israel. That's the God Christ Jesus. Then he weeps over the hardness of these people that he had chosen for his own. That is the man Christ Jesus. It is the God Christ Jesus who raised him from the dead, but it was the man Christ Jesus who wept for Israel. This is one of the most powerful aspects of Jesus, that he's fully God and he is fully man. I've heard people make reference like this, and sometimes sometimes they, they don't really mean what they say, or maybe they don't even understand what they say. But I've heard people say, I worship Jesus and God, You ever heard somebody say that or you ever said something like that? Well, yeah, I worship Jesus and God. If you worship Jesus, you worship God. You say, well, what about if I worship the Father? Well, wonderful. You worship God. What if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? That's an outstanding thing. You're filled with God. Yeah, but which one's big God? They're all big God. He's three in one. You say, I don't understand that. That's so God-like, isn't it? Isn't it a wonderful thing that God can be something that we can't even comprehend, yet he can humble himself as a servant and give himself on the cross for our sins? Isn't that an amazing thing? I've come across people in my life in times who are so arrogant that they wouldn't worship God because they couldn't understand God. I had one man, dear man, he wasn't uh, arrogant at all, he's a very humble man. But he, he was dying on—and I've told you about him before—he was dying on his, uh, on, on his deathbed, literally, in the hospital. And I was witnessing to him. And his name was George. I tried to get George to come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I asked him, I said, George, uh, don't you believe that Jesus died on the cross? And he said, I do. Don't you believe that he rose again the third day? He said, I do. And I said, Don't you, wouldn't you like to receive him as your personal savior? And he said, I would. And I said, Will you pray with me? And he said, I can't. And I said, Well, why not, George? And he said, Because I don't understand why. I don't know why God would do this for me. I believe that I I may understand why he would do it for somebody else, but I don't understand why God would do this for me. George Kodelka was a bulldozer operator. And I looked at poor old George laying there in the hospital bed dying. He knew he was dying. I knew he was dying. And I looked at him right in the eye and I said, well, that's none of your business, George. And he kind of snapped a little bit and looked at me and he said, what? I said, it's just none of your business. You, you, you try to take apart everything and understand it before you, you, you get those new bulldozers and you literally tear them down and those track excavators and you tear them down and you put them back together so you'll know how to put them back to tear them down and put them back together when you're cleaning them, right? And he said, that's right. I said, look, there's something that you're going to need to accept without tearing it down and putting it back together. And he said, what's that? I said, the grace of God. It's amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. It's amazing, George. You'll never fully comprehend it, but I'll tell you this. It's fully paid for, and it is absolutely available to you. And so with that, George received Jesus Christ as his Savior. The complexity of God is that... I can't even state the complexity of God. He's too complex to state... But one of the complexities I can say to you is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. They're equal God. They're one God. They're not three gods. They're three in one. They're one in three. They are absolutely God. So when you say, well, I'm just going to worship God today and uh you don't have to ask well which one are you going to worship you can just go ahead and say I'm going to praise Jesus I'm going to call on the father and I'm going to walk in the spirit and all of that is worshiping and praising God can somebody in here say amen to that in his sincere disappointment Jesus wept the man Jesus wept he wept over opportunity that was lost He wept for the opportunity that was lost by his very own people. What they could have seen, they would not see. And it's true that as sinners, there are still Jews who can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But as a people, they rejected him. And they're still rejecting him. They continue to do so. They have lost their opportunity. And by doing so, when they lost their opportunity, when they rejected him and, and they lost their opportunity... They created for themselves an opposition that was certain. Jesus saw that the, the temple had become a den of thieves, and the religious leaders were out to kill him, and the city was filled with pilgrims uh, celebrating a, a festival, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin and life's burdens. And as Jesus looked ahead, he wept as he saw the terrible judgment that was coming to the nation and to the city and to the temple he saw through the crowds he saw through he heard through the hosannas and he saw what was coming and indeed in 1700 or 700 AD the Romans would come and after a siege of 143 days they would kill 600,000 Jews and they would take thousands more captive captive and then destroy the city the temple and the city why did all of this happen Jesus was weeping over this. Why did this happen? He wept before it ever happened. Why did, it, uh, did he weep? Because he already knew that he had come into his own, and his own received him not. That's what John 1.11 says. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And for that, Jesus wept. And so this sincere disappointment that caused the man Christ Jesus to weep wept over opportunity lost. The God Christ Jesus knew the opportunity that was lost. The man Christ Jesus wept over it. The God Christ Jesus uh, knew the opposition that was certain. And the man Christ Jesus wept over it. And it was the God Christ Jesus that realized that an opening for them had now closed. And it was the man Christ Jesus who wept over it. They had wasted their opportunity. They had been willingly ignorant of their time of visitation, their days of opportunity. And is is it not true that most of us fail to realize what we have until it is taken from us? Most of us fail to appreciate all that is ours until some of that was ours is gone. And as we enter this week of passion, I want to ask that all of us consider our opportunity. First of all, For those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, this is a week of worship and power and love. You'll get involved in a lot of things this week. There'll be a a very busy week ahead, and somebody will ask you next Sunday at Easter sunrise service, well, how was your week? And you'll say, busy, busy. Oh, it was just so busy. I was just covered up. All week long, I was just covered up. I want to say this to you. Don't neglect your opportunity to worship the Lord this week. Don't neglect to cry out to the Lord in the real way, Hosanna, this week. Don't lose your opportunity. The the week will come to an end and you'll look back on it and you'll say, Pastor Ray told us a week ago that we should praise the Lord all week long and my goodness, now it's Saturday and I haven't even slowed down to praise the Lord and thank him for his gift of salvation one time. May it be a Hosanna week for all of us. Just slow down and and take it in. And for those who do not know Jesus Christ, you must make the most of this opportunity as well. Imagine that the Son of God would come down from glory to give himself a sacrifice for your sins. Imagine that we can know God and, and have a place for him. This is more than a week of emotion. This is a week of of devotion. The Jews had emotion as they laid their outer garments before him, but they lacked devotion. There's no question that next weekend, in the Passion Play, you will have emotion. There is no question of that. This will be my seventh year to see it. We did it just a couple of times the first year, but, uh, rather than three performances. But then after that, we went to three performances. And every time has been emotional for me. Every single time has been emotional for me. So that by the time we do it, the last time it'll be right around 20. Or, or maybe just a little under 20 times that I will have seen <clears throat> this exact passion play. I said to a friend of mine in the community, it's a lady... Nice lady, I like her. I asked her. I said, "Are you gonna?" I asked her a couple of years ago. I said, "Are you gonna come to the Passion Play?" And she said, "Well, I don't know. Uh, I, I went a couple of times, uh, a couple of years in a row, and it's the same each year." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, Easter's kind of that way. It, you know, uh, <laughs> he raises from the dead every Easter morning, just the way that it is." I didn't laugh out loud, but I wanted to laugh out loud. I want to tell you something, folks. I don't care how often I see it, hear it, sing about it. It's emotional. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. There's a lot of emotion on this Palm Sunday, but there wasn't much devotion. I pray that that there will be devotion represented in the born-again believers in this room today. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I pray that you'll not allow this best opportunity for salvation to pass you by. If the man Christ Jesus, if the man Christ Jesus was in the service today, he would stop at your pew and he would look at you and he would see what is in your heart. If the man Christ Jesus were here today, he would look through your days and into eternity and he would see where you will spend eternity without coming to him. If the man Christ Jesus were here today, he would, with everybody else celebrating and rejoicing that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Savior and Lord, with everybody else singing and praising his name, Jesus would stop at you and he would weep over you. Because the man Christ Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants you to come to repentance. This is Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, the end of spring break, major storms in the city, yet you found your way to God's house today. Did you find your way here today so that Jesus could weep over you? And then you come to him and there be rejoicing in the presence of God over your soul who comes to me. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.